Hey Pacer fans, I'm Miles Turner, and here's a Sideline Guys podcast. Hello Pacers fans, it's another Sideline Guys Wednesday. As always with Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat Boylan, but uh, we like to bring Chris Denary on once or twice a year and get his inside. And uh, Chris joins us now, and we'll just turn things over to you here quickly, Chris, with uh, a question that I was asking some of the players after the game in our Zoom chats after that game against uh, Milwaukee on Monday, where do you feel like the confidence level of this team is? Because as JJ and I were uh, recording the podcast last week, we were talking about this road trip coming up. I think this is probably the most daunting portion of the schedule, and you just got out of it. Um, And three and four over these seven, I don't think is is too bad of a result. You go into Miami, you play maybe your best game of the year on Friday, and then you follow that up with another win Sunday, which is really hard to do on these uh, two-game back-to-back stretches, especially, I feel like, when you beat the first team as badly as you did. Um, To be able to keep your footing there and win Sunday, I thought there were significant signs of growth there. Back-to-back on Monday, you know, just a weird one. No Giannis for them, which is obviously a significant um, drop-off for the Bucs. You don't have two of your starters. The Pacers never really find their footing defensively. It was an odd road trip. Uh, what did you think of it? Where's your confidence level right now? Well, I think, guys, uh, you know, where where I stand is it's, it's really an odd year. And I'm just going to take you back to the weekend uh, with another two-game set series, Dallas and Portland and Portland. Uh, Portland uh, wins game one on Friday and then gets beat at home by 40, by 40 points. Um, So, you know, are the people in Portland freaking out? Because, you know, they have a, they're six or seven games over 500. They've got Damian Lillard, one of the best players in the league. It's just a strange year. I've tried to look at all those numbers and it just seems like um, you know, there are. It's almost an outlier year with with how some of these games are, and and I hope to think that that is the case on Monday night. That um, you, you're three and three on a on just a gauntlet of a first seven out of uh, the All Star break, and you've not played well in Milwaukee. That's the sixth straight game where you've lost by twenty points or more. Um, I, I just don't know how to read it because I, I thought the two games in Miami, uh, the win in Phoenix, uh, adding Karis LeVert, uh, you know, just just helps this team move forward a little bit. So as Quinn Buckner said after the telecast on Monday night, this is sort of the, a game that happens. It's It's not been a good matchup for the Pacers the last year or so, last two years really against Milwaukee. Maybe you just wad it up and throw it away and move forward. Uh, but I've seen enough good in this team since the All-Star break with those leads going into the fourth quarter that I, I just don't know if I can put a lot of stock in what I saw on Monday night. I would say that at the seven games after the All-Star break, if we would have had a discussion before and said, what will you be okay with, would you have been okay with three and four, Chris? Oh, absolutely, because uh, I think all of us, uh, we're thinking, as you looked at that schedule, it was quite possible you might not win a game. Because, <laughs> well, right? I, I can't imagine how we'd be feeling right now if that was the case. And, <laughs> right, and right. I, you know, but, but, but if, if you looked at that realistically, especially after you, um, you know, lost the way you did to the Lakers, know you were in the second out of a back-to-back against Phoenix, but, but yeah, to, to win three of those seven – absolutely you feel much better than you probably would have. And I don't know where the prognosticators came in, you know, before the game on in all, all those seven matchups, but I would say the Pacers were not picked to win very many of those. And so it's better two weeks from now, you know, Pat, where you say, where's your confidence level? And whatever you say, it can and will change. Whatever the confidence level is two weeks from now, I think is, is going to be a, just a little bit better indicator. You know, right now you're 40, you know, 42, 43 games into the season. You play another two weeks of basketball, whether it's uh, seven or eight games with maybe a more balanced schedule. You could you probably could never envision a more imbalanced schedule than what you had over the last two weeks. And you see where you're at now. I, I said last week on the podcast, Pat, that you know, win two out of every three moving forward, maybe starting with this game against the Pistons, because I didn't think it was realistic to say you could have won um, out of those seven to win win five or, or four even. I think three is probably 
just about what they deserved and earned, and you probably are okay with it. But I think you asked this question two weeks from now. I've said that over the last couple weeks, you know, this is a big week or this is a big game. The next two weeks, I think, will set the course for the rest of this season. If they struggle and maybe have a good game and then have a couple of bad games and get blown out to teams they shouldn't, and maybe they have a game where they lead and and blow it in the fourth quarter, then I'm going to say there's some real reason and cause for concern um, for a a postseason type of run. But if they can have some success in the next two weeks, plenty of time to get well and to feel better about yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we're kind of at the pivot point of the season here. As that first half wound down, you didn't close it how you would have liked. Your record was under 500. You know, you talk to any of the players. This isn't just us giving our analysis. DeMontis Sabonis wasn't happy with where they were. Malcolm Brogdon wasn't happy with where they were. But you're getting Karis LeVert back. And when you went into the All-Star break, you didn't necessarily know it was going to come so quickly. But once we knew when he was going to come back, then you said, okay, this can be, you know, hopefully the impetus for improving your own play. But you have to be realistic about it. The guy came off of, uh, you know, surgery for cancer, I think it was 48 days ago. He's with a brand new team, new teammates, new system, new city, um, off of a very scary ailment. And uh, it's just going to take him time and to get some conditioning. And then you add that with the fact that you looked at the schedule and you said, this really realistically, you know, if you go five and two, great, but this realistically isn't where you can make up any ground. And I think now we're out of that and you've done okay. You have the sour taste in your mouth from Monday and and it's always natural as we go into these podcasts to have, you know, a lot of our feelings be based the most strongly on the last game. That's just how, you know, human nature works, but um, you're thrilled with what you did in Miami. And I think bigger picture, there are some signs that, Some of those things, Chris, you want to see are turning in the right direction. You've just played such a tough schedule that it's hard to see that um, play out in terms of wins and losses. But now you're at the point. I'm not saying the schedule's all of a sudden easy now, but you're out of this gauntlet stretch. Detroit on Wednesday, uh, the Mavs on Friday. You've got a rare weekend off. Wizards, and then you get the Heat again at home to close out the month of March, to me, this feels kind of the pivot point in the season. Okay, now can some of those things from Karis LeVert's return, some of the adjustments you're trying to make, trying to close the fourth quarter out better, now can we see the byproduct of those improvements? And I think you start to look as soon as Wednesday night's game against Detroit, because it's been since early February since the Pacers have wanted home. Now, a lot goes into that. Uh, You have a very, very road-heavy schedule here in March. You haven't played a ton of home games, but we all know how much of a home court advantage the Fieldhouse typically is. And we all know that having a few thousand fans in the building, while it's great to have them there, doesn't provide that home court environment. But I think if this team's going to have, you know, the, the type of season it wants to and still feels like it can, you have to have home court turn into an advantage again. Because frankly, you're fine with how you're playing on the road. It's just oddly been that home court um, you would never have guessed at the beginning of the year that that's the area you wanted to improve upon. But here we are, and you've got uh, you know a home game coming up on Wednesday, obviously very winnable against the Pistons. And maybe this can be the first where you start to see if they are indeed taking a step in the right direction. Yeah, these next 10 games, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the, the schedule right now. The next 10 games, I think, are very important. You're right. It's five at home, five on the road. Um as you look at some of these teams that you're playing, uh, you know they're, they're still very capable. I mean, Charlotte has played well. Uh, you know, Washington has has pulled off some some wins, even though they're a, a few games or three games below the Pacers in the East. They still have an All Star backcourt in Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. But I think the key is right now you're four games under 500. Can in the next 10 games you get to the 500 mark? Can you go seven and three and then set yourself up uh, for the final, what, 20 games left in the regular season? I think that's going to be the important part. And can you do a better job of winning games at home? I mean, we've never seen a team, a Pacers team, lose six straight at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And we hadn't seen a Pacers team do it in well over 30 years. So if you can make improvements and do a better job at home, You've been more than capable on the road, and that should put you in a good position for the final 20 games of the year. Chris, we had so much anticipation for seeing Karis LeVert, and in the game since the All-Star break, we saw his first game, and 
quite a debut in that he helped the Pacers beat the Phoenix Suns, one of the best teams in the entire NBA. And since then, I think it's been maybe what we should have expected, but maybe didn't anticipate. It's that some up, some down, trying to get his conditioning and his legs. And then you see the positives of how him, Karis LeVert, being on the court attracts defensive pressure and allows maybe things to be a little bit easier for DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon. Where do you think Karras is right now, and how is he positioned moving forward? Well, you can tell that he just uh, there's there's probably still a trust factor in his conditioning conditioning in his legs because you can see at times that he stumbles and 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 has some rust. But then you see, like you saw in the fourth quarter in Milwaukee, where the Pacers made a run and cut it to twelve. A lot of that was because of Karis LaVert. He hit a couple of threes, got into the lane, hit some jump shots, you know, taking some of the pressure, uh, you know, off Sabonis and those types of things. So I, it, it's hard for us to know because we're not physically around them. But I can't imagine that he's, you know, anywhere, anywhere close to 100%. I'm going to say he's maybe in the high 80s, low 90s as far as, is getting back and conditioning and and really being at the top of your game. And so with what we've seen in just less than two months of coming back from, I would still call this major surgery. This was, uh, you know, a, a mass on your kidney. I, I think all parties have to be pretty pleased with the way he's played. He's only going to get better as he continues to ramp up and continues to get more minutes you know, the good thing is he's never been limited uh, from a, a minutes uh, perspective, uh, but but I think we're going to continue to see his growth with this team. Uh, you, you could tell if, if you go back to the game uh, when he missed the shot to win it at the end of regulation uh, in Miami, how DeMontis Sabonis put his arm around him and said, hey, that's all right. So so early on, you are seeing how the his teammates respect what he can do, how he can help them and what they need from him going forward. Yeah, and you know what? I thought, I really like that they gave Karis LeVert that opportunity. I know he didn't hit the shot, but I think that's such, um, you know, even if that doesn't go in, even if he misses the shot like they do, um, you know, it's, it's a really, I think, good sign of confidence. And it's a way that a coach can instill um, some confidence in a new player who, you know, is, is still getting his legs under him, both, uh, you know, literally and, and just from a, a returning from a conditioning standpoint and trying to find his footing um, proverbially with the Pacers. I mean, you think about how we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, but you think about how many challenges he go, he's gone through and is going through and trying to overcome that have nothing to do with, you know, the medical condition that he had, the cancer. I mean, you're on a new team. You're in the middle of the season. You're in a pandemic. You're trying to gain chemistry with a bunch of new players and not a whole lot of time to do it and a completely different system um, than you were running in Brooklyn. You take away, uh, you know, the medical ailment and that's challenging enough. Then you throw in all the things uh, that you're talking about. And Malcolm Brogdon, I think, said it best right as Levert was about to come back. He said, uh, you know, I asked him, what do you expect um, from Levert's return? And he said, well, first of all, I expect people to be patient with him because this is going to take some time. And as we get out of these Zoom calls with Levert, um, you know, the first thing he says is, I still feel like I'm getting my conditioning back. I still feel like I'm trying to get my legs back under me. But I will just say, and I don't know, maybe you could argue this is a little bit, JJ, of a glass to half full take, but <laughs> the eye test to me, all of those things look right. Um, you know, he looks like he fits in frankly, better than I thought he would. He looks like, um, you know, from a chemistry standpoint, I think he looks really good. And and it's the things the things that he's still trying to um, improve upon. And, you know, he's not the player right now that ultimately you feel like he can be once he's fully up to speed. But I think all of those things are, are a result of just all of you know, he, the things he's been trying to overcome lately and his shots a little off and maybe his legs aren't totally under him and that kind of thing. But um, 
the things that you want to see big picture from him, you know, his explosiveness, how he can get to the rim, how he can be another playmaker. I think it's so key. And I think about Sabonis too, um, statistically had a nice night against Milwaukee, but I was looking back at his previous 10 games before the Milwaukee game. And they were from a scoring perspective, just a little bit down uh, 16 points per game. And, you know, some of that he's not taking as many shots. I think a guy like him, he'll help Brogdon, Levert, and Will, and, and Brogdon has touched on that many times. But I think when Levert is back to his fully explosive self, which I think it's totally reasonable to expect that to happen this year, and when he feels totally confident, like sometimes it still seems to me like he's still um, figuring out exactly what his role is. And Turner added on to the fact that, you know, sometimes we have to tell him, you need to do you. You need to, you know, attack and get to the basket. That's what you're here for. But um, it, it just seems like life has been hard for Sabonis in terms of how teams are guarding him. And once Lavert, you know, I'm guessing he's going to have one of his signature games pretty soon where he hits a big number offensively, and that could change things pretty drastically. And I think perhaps the most for Sabonis because the Pacers need him um, back over 20 points per game. In the last 10 before Milwaukee, eight of those 10, he was under 20 points per game. And it, very clearly, this team, this offense is working at its best when Sabonis is scoring. We have a limited amount of time with Chris on this pod. Maybe we can book another one for a uh, sometime in April. And I appreciate you coming on, Chris, because, you know, I th if we'd have done the podcast on Monday morning, I think we'd have been great, Pat. We could talk for an hour. But then, ah, you know, do you really want to just commiserate the Bucks game for you know, 45 minutes? So I thought we could bounce around a little bit. I did ask for some fans to give me a couple of questions they might like to ask you, Chris Denarian. So I'll, I'm going to throw a couple at you right now. Mark Schindler does great work, uh, you know, breaking down the NBA, covers the Pacers and really touches on a number of teams as well. He asks, what's been your favorite development from an individual player this season? This is a little bit on the spot, but if you, um, you know, take a look at the, the Pacers roster and, and what you've seen, uh, maybe an improvement or a development this season, or a little over halfway through the season, who would it be? Um, you, you know, there, there's probably a number of ways to go, but I've been very impressed with Doug McDermott, uh, just in his ability to score in different ways. And again, I think in his first two years, um, he was predominantly, you thought of him as a three point shooter. Um, he's, he's definitely somebody who moves without the ball, his cutting, his knowledge of the game, but I think it's really exploded this year. Um, when you think about his scoring is more because of what he's not doing on the three-point line than what he is doing on the three-point line. I also think, uh, you know, while he's not th the greatest defender, um, he's worked hard at, at being better, in, in being in better position. Uh, he's rebounded. Um, I just think he's given the Pacers a lot, and he's had to do it in extended minutes. Now, I think Doug's perfect role for this team is coming off the bench. I think there was a game, it might have been the, the first Miami game, he had 17 points in like 17 minutes. And I think that's, uh, you know, a perfect situation for Doug. But when he was thrust into the starting lineup because of all the injuries and because of what they had to go through, I thought he performed very well. Um, I think there are a number of other players you could go to. I think Edmund Sumner has shown in the last month um, that, that he's a rotational player for the Pacers. But if I had to, to pinpoint somebody, it would be McDermott. I know a lot of people would look at T.J. McConnell as well. Um, but, but I think McDermott, over the whole course of the year, I think has done some things differently and more impressively than what we've seen in his first two years. All right, Chris, we know we have to get you out of here. So let's do uh, – we got two quick ones for you, two completely uh, different topics completely uh, non-similar to each other. This comes from Chuck, and his first question is, should the Pacers look at any free agent buyout big men for the backup power forward spot, someone with more of a rebounding background? And I, I guess, you know, I, I want to turn this into a little bit of a bigger picture thought, too. Do you have any expectations? Difficult question, I understand. But do you have any expectations for the Pacers around the trade deadline? Uh, in, unless they do something along the edges, um, you know, we've seen we've seen the Pacers, you know, what uh, they got Wesley Matthews a couple of years ago. They, they really haven't done a whole lot. I, I just don't see them dismantling a group that we, quite frankly, haven't seen enough of because of injuries and, and those types of situations. So, 
you know, and 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 I'm not the first guy to know exactly where they are in the cap and and the salary situation, those kinds of things. So I'm just not sure. I think there's been a lot of talk around the league about what's going to go on, but I'm just not sure there's going to be a whole lot that will go on. I think teams may wait until the summer months, and I think especially because there are so many teams still alive in the hunt for the play-in situation. Seven through ten is much different than we've ever seen it before. So uh, I just don't I just don't think we'll see anything. I could be wrong, but but that's just where I feel right now. Yeah, I am willing to see how that or interested to see how that plays out in the next few years because now that you have ten teams that are in the hunt, it makes you wonder if there will be less sellers than buyers and if the trade deadline changes at all. I think it's a interesting dynamic. Maybe we get our first taste of it. Obviously, the pandemic um, plays a role in the trade deadline as well. All right, final question here. Uh, Chuck wants to know, Chris, what is your longest streak of consecutive made free throws? Was it in a game or in the driveway? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't. I, I don't think it would be in a game. It would be in a driveway. Um, I have, have you ever done this? Have you ever counted? Like um, yeah, he does together. a fundraiser every year. Yeah, I right? do a fundraiser every year right. for a really good friend of mine. And um, I know there was one of these years I made like 70 or 75 in a row. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at Hinkle. <laughs> Same. I did, it, I did it one year at Hinkle. You know, they have the softest rims. They're very Yeah, fruitful. but even more impressive than this, you did the fundraiser during the pandemic outside. Yes. And, and out of 100, didn't you oh, make I, like 90? Oh yeah, I was I was ninety plus, I believe. Yes, and that and that rim was not <laughs> outside. That was not as forgiving, and it was a little crooked, sort of like the backboard in Milwaukee. <laughs> and Pat, this question you may <laughs> may not have been aware of the background because it came up during uh, one of the broadcasts over the weekend when you know we spent some time talking about March Madness and, and Chris and Quinn both having won championships at uh, Chris at Wabash and, of course, Quinn at IU. And, and they discussed free throw shooting. And uh, <laughs> Quinn asked Chris what his high school free throw percentage was. And he paused for a little bit and then let everyone know 86%, right? Yeah. Oh, 89. <laughs> 89. Oh, I'll go sorry. 89. I had, three big I, had percentage the, I had the Hamilton County record uh, for probably 20-plus years. From 1979 to in the early 2000s, and then somebody at Carmel busted it. Well, where is this record book at? I, I haven't seen these. I'd love to find the Miami County record for rebounding. Hey, you might have it. <laughs> you know, I, I will tell you, I, I used to go to Butler basketball camp with um, two of Chris's sons, um, Will and um, Evan, and my biggest claim to fame from a basketball perspective was I held the fr consecutive free throws made streak at 27. So, Chris, you just Ooh. put me to complete shame. Like, I was <laughs> so proud of that until uh, I just heard that you, I don't know, tripled it. So, <laughs> well, like we got to let you go, but that that's uh, I'm glad. Yeah, that and you, you did that in your in your teens and your playing days. I think he probably got around 70 at, in his uh, 50s. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like yeah, that. You yeah. know that. We're not in the same neighborhood. <laughs> I know they're going to have that that fundraiser once again, so I'll make sure I keep track of it this year. And I'm hoping, you know, that everything's sort of back to normal with vaccines and everything that we can do yeah. it at Hinkle, so I can get to Hinkle and shoot on those soft rims. Yeah, that's a completely different. I'm just glad Jimmy Butler didn't. I'm glad Jimmy Butler didn't make two free throws in a row on Sunday because right. it makes everything a lot better from that road trip. <laughs> exactly. Didn't make two free throws, and then he uh, missed his three-point shot at 22%. Take that, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think I don't know that we could say anything else. We should just stop the podcast right there. Quoting That's Chris a mic Canary. drop. That's a mic exactly. drop. We were planning on going longer, but maybe we just cut it out now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Chris, uh, we appreciate the time very much, your perspective as always. And uh, I know it's been a unique year calling these games off the monitor, which you did, uh, of course, in the restart as well. But I know um, everybody is is working their hardest to make these broadcasts seem as normal as possible. And while JJ noted, uh, you know, I'm not watching these games live because we're part of our own um, parallel simultaneous broadcasts. As we've gone back and watched them, I think you guys have done um, a terrific job because, frankly, it's hard to tell sometimes uh, that you aren't there and, and that's a testament to your hard work. So uh, 
this has obviously been a unique and challenging season, but I know the Pacers fans listening here certainly appreciate um, all of the hard and diligent work that goes into your broadcasts. Well, we appreciate it. You know, uh, we just you, you, life is all about rolling with the punches, right? No matter what you're delivered, you've got to adjust and adapt. And we're doing the very best we can. And that's what Pacers fans deserve. So thanks very much, Pat and JJ. Look forward to joining you again. Chris had a tight schedule today, and it was nice of him uh, to fit us into a very small window that he had and talk Pacers basketball with us. And always love getting to have Chris on the podcast once or twice. I do feel bad. You know, you you started going to the questions, and I looked down at the clock and was like, oh, wow, we only have a few minutes left. So uh, my fault there if we didn't get uh, all of the questions you wanted to get in. Is there anything else that anybody asked that you at least want to bring up? Well, we, I didn't get a lot of questions because I put it out on Twitter about an hour before recording this, and I did it in a cryptic way that I didn't even yeah. mention Chris by name. So <laughs> if I figure everyone knows that he's Mr. Connecticut and that he was a Wabash or Wabash. Well, he, he used to live in Wabash, but a Westfield High School free throw shooter. So um, just got a few of those. But there was a, a common theme to some of the ones that I didn't get to, and it did want to ask about the trade deadline and the prospects of what the Pacers might do. And, and that's one of those that, you know, I've done two radio interviews already this week and I've been asked about that as well. It's kind of a tough one for us to answer because, you know, we are team employees, but we don't really know anything. So if we answer a question, it's, it's purely kind of speculation and really based on no, no facts, even though you would think, you know, Hey, well, Chris or, Pat or JJ, they have to know some inside information. So we don't have any inside information. We maybe have some gut feelings, but at the same time, uh, it can be damaging, I think, to sometimes this week to to a player to see your name out there. I remember talking a couple of times over the last couple of years to Doug McDermott, and he said that it, virtually every single year he has seen and heard his name come up around the trade deadline, and he's been moved, and it's, it's tough. Uh, so sometimes the players... They play so free and easy the first game after the trade deadline when they know they don't have to move or find new housing or perhaps move their family. And so I think this is a tough time. As much as fans can get excited about it and, and want to see moves and um, you know project what could be the missing piece, uh, the, the guys are in a business. They understand. They're well paid. And I think they accept the fact that something could happen. But it's it's also tough. And so, you know, there were some random reports out earlier today as we record this on Tuesday. And, I, you know, all I will say is this. If a report comes out that says the Pacers are listening, does that not pretty much Pat, mean that if, if a team calls you, you just don't hang up the phone, right? You listen. But I don't know that people should take anything to that. And I, and I would say probably that I agree with Chris and what he said about, you know, something around the edges. The only thing that I will say is I don't think that the Pacers and I don't think this this shouldn't come out the wrong way. I don't think they're in this position right now to acquire the missing piece to win a championship this season. I mean, they are still trying to, you know, fine tune some things. And I would say they're probably looking at a, at a two year window where if you make a move, it needs to be something that helps you now. But more importantly, is something that can help you next season. And so not to say this season isn't important, but. Um, let's say there's a player that, you know, if he leaves the team this season, well, then that means you don't have that player next season as well. And so everything that I think would be done is done thinking not five years down the road. There are some franchises that may want a first round draft pick in 2024 or 2025. Sure. If you can get an asset, that's great. I think the Pacers are a team that is looking at, you know, make, being the best they can be right now, but really thinking about next season. And so any question or any rumor that comes out there, um, sure, you have to listen. You have to do your due diligence. You have to know what teams are willing to offer and what the market is for your particular players. But I can't imagine right now, and I could be wrong, Pat, that the Pacers are the ones, you know, hitting other teams up on speed dial. Maybe it's more incoming calls. Yeah, that's my intuition as well. And the Pacers have been, even you know, as as owner or management has changed just a little bit. Um, although it's been, you know, the Pacers have had a lot of continuity in the front office too. But they are notoriously tight-lipped and secure about their conversations. You just don't hear a whole lot that comes out um, from those conversations. And I always go back to a, a quote that Mark Monteith always 
said around this time, which is if you hear rumors that come out that involve the Pacers, oftentimes it's because it's a deal that didn't end up happening. And by the time you're hearing it, it's too late and it's not going to happen. And he would always reference the fact that, you know, like how many deals have the Pacers done over the years where there was a lot of buildup and rumor around them? I mean, I think had the Gordon Hayward trade happened, which Kevin Pritchard you know, talked pretty openly about, I think that's really the first one that I can remember. You think of some of the big deals um, that the Pacers have made over their history, and a lot of them you know, came out of nowhere. We knew that Paul George was going to be traded, but who would have guessed uh, for who they were and when that happened, um, you know, and, and even this, the Paul George or the Victor Oladipo trade with Houston um, was, you know, caught us all off guard as well. Those were not reports beforehand. So um, that's not to say that anybody's lying or anything, but that's just typically um, how this franchise operates. A lot doesn't get outside of those walls. And I think that's a very good thing. And to your point as well, uh, look, if, <laughs> You know, if somebody wants to say, hey, um, I'm interested in X player that you have, I think you do, you do, you do your due diligence and listen. You know, if, if the Lakers say we're going to give you LeBron James and Anthony Davis for one of your guys, of course, <laughs> you do something like that. You know, so, I mean, there's no point in just hanging up the phone. So just just because you're calling um, and, and you're listening and hearing trades out. I mean, that's that's what you do in the front office, if those reports are even accurate, which, of course, we have no idea. But, um, you know, that's that's part of the job. Other teams call, and they're interested in guys. And, frankly, if you weren't getting calls <laughs> for some of those uh, players, you would be a little bit concerned because it means that you don't have guys that other teams want. So I don't read a whole lot into that, especially knowing uh, the Pacers' history. And along the lines of what you were just saying, which I, th- I think you're dead on, um, you never know around trade deadline. I was listening to Woj talk late last night uh, after the game. He had uh, an audio session with Brian Windhorst, and he was saying that he was predicting it will be a quiet trade deadline. Um, that, you know, it's a lot of like the second person in the front office calling the opposing team's second person, which is more just kind of like, uh, you know, tiptoeing around the edges, making sure they're not missing out on anything versus GMs or presidents, whatever you, you know, call that guy calling the other top guy to try to get something done. But he, as he also, as he also noted, uh, you just never know the trade deadline. You never know. I mean, I don't know how the TJ Warren deal went down, but I can't imagine that. uh, Well, I never thought something like that was possible going into it. I mean, if a team says we will give you a 20 point per game guy, and then also a pick and that 20 point per game guy is not on a bad deal, on a good deal, frankly, uh, you know, how do you say no to that? So you just don't know. There's so much you can't control and what other teams' agendas are, what they're thinking. So, yeah, you, you listen because you just never know. And your job as uh, president, general manager, is to always try to improve this team. That said, uh, if the Pacers make any moves, my expectation, it's around the edges, um, you know, in the fringe area. Because, because frankly, they, I'm not a capologist by any means. But they're uh, they're pretty um, set in terms of how much money they can spend, and they've got it on the payroll right now. Like the Pacers aren't sitting on a bunch of money that they can spend, and so I think this group just start is just starting to come together. You hope you get worn back at the end of this year, but um, you know there's just not enough information on that now to say confidently. But you're just starting to get Levert back and integrated. So I think never say never. But I think the only way something significant happens between now and is the deadline Thursday? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Between now and Thursday, uh, I think the only way something happens is if it's one of those deals where you are looking bigger picture the next two or three years and you say, okay, this improves us next year and in the following year. Um, because I just don't think the Pacers are in position right now from a financial standpoint. Or really, look, they put this core together, and I think they want to see what they have. And unfortunately, injuries have uh, kept them from doing that. And until you get Warren back, you won't have your full slate. But um, in a lot of ways, Karis LeVert is kind of like making a deadline deal because he came in around the deadline. And um, you don't even necessarily know what you have right now. So you listen. If another team you know, blows your mind, throws something out there that you never thought was possible – of course, you consider, um, but I would be pretty surprised if the Pacers were knocking on a bunch of other doors right now. They're just, uh, I think, in a position where they're listening, they're taking stock in the situation. And, and I thought, um, you know, this is, we've had 
Chad Buchanan talked about this a little bit, and I thought it was interesting too. You know, it's so important as guys in their roles to constantly be checking up around the NBA so you know, um, you know, what the landscape is like everywhere because you never know when you're going to be able to jump in to a James Harden deal like they were. And it was their preparation beforehand, the months leading up to that, the weeks leading up, however long it was, it was their preparation beforehand that then allowed them to jump at the right time. So I think you do a lot of preparation just so you understand the landscape. And then if that opportunity strikes where, you know, the stars align, you make a move. But we'll see. Uh, I would be surprised if anything significant happened by Thursday, but you never know. And the one thing I will say to kind of finish the thought on the trade deadline is I, I kind of feel a little bit of a sense of relief that a trade happened in January <laughs> because if the pay, I mean, they maybe would have more wins right now if, uh, you know, Victor Oladipo was still on the team and they had someone at that two guard position for January and February. I guess first things first, I'm glad that trade would happen in January because Karis Levert um, found the mass on his kidney and got that right. taken care of. But strictly from a Pacers basketball perspective, if they were going into this week where they still had that question kind of looming over the franchise, I feel like it would be pre pretty stressful right now because everyone know, knew the situation. Um, I, we've heard Nate Bjorkman say so many times that Victor Oladipo was completely honest with him. Um, we've never really asked what that actually meant and what that said. To me, it meant he was going to play as hard as he could for this season and not really look past that. And you can't go into uh, – you can't finish a season and, and potentially lose someone like that for nothing. So I think that the front office did a great job in being able to get Karis LeVert, and now they've got him healthy. And now there's probably less stress this deadline than there would have been if that had not happened and, and really if James Harden had not uh, kind of forced his way out of Houston. So uh, <laughs> we'll just kind of watch maybe on the peripheral, have some popcorn and see what happens – around the NBA. And I think the other thing is um, let's just spin it forward. It's, it's a week that you can catch your breath a little bit, but maybe just maybe uh, get a little bit of momentum and, and take a break. As you mentioned, it's rare to have no game on Saturday or Sunday, but you've got Pistons Wednesday. You, you're at Dallas on Friday. I don't know if the team will come home before going to DC, but that game's on Monday. And then you have a little bit more of home cooking after that. Yeah. I mean, look, if the next, two weeks don't go well, it doesn't mean the season is over. Uh, you've seen the Eastern Conference standings. And in fact, it's why I thought those two games in Miami were so important because you're four games behind the heat. Look, you know, you got to climb the ladder one step at a time here. Um, you're not thinking jumping from 10th to fourth, but it's so tightly compact in the East uh, that you're playing a team that's in fourth and looking at a home court first round series. And when uh, that, two-game series with Miami was starting, you're the last team in that play-in, and you'd have to win two road games to even become uh, the eighth seed. So, uh, you know, two wildly different positions, fourth and tenth, but just four games separating them. And if you win game one and lose game two, you split in Miami. That's, that's a victory um, in itself. But by winning the second one, you were able to cement what you did in the first one and then double up. If you lose on Sunday, um, you're still four back. Which, again, you split on the road and, and you take that, I think, every time. But if you're able to take advantage in a close game, pull out a win like they could, all of a sudden that gap went from four to two. You cut it in half so quickly. And, and so and you have the tiebreaker. And good point. You have the tiebreaker as well. And you've got Miami again coming up at home at the end of this month. So, look, I, I, this feels to me kind of like the pivot point in the season. This is, you know, kind of coming full circle on the podcast because this is where we started. But um, you've got. Some home games coming up that are winnable. You've got Miami and Charlotte soon, who you're trying to you know, catch and pass. And I think you have to have home court turn back into the advantage that um, you know it can be. Maybe not to the level it's been a couple of years ago, because we know home teams are winning less often this year. And it's just it's such a different experience in the field house without the fans. It's great to see them. It's great to have three, 4,000 people, but just the environment's nowhere near what it is when that place is packed. But I, I think you have to start stringing together some wins. Uh, you started the year with three straight, and you haven't been able to win three straight since. And you've had five opportunities since. You've had five different um, portions in the season where you had won two straight, and in all five, you dropped the third game. 
a lot of them, uh, just as it turns out, the schedule worked out. You know, that third game is on the second half of a back-to-back in Milwaukee kind of thing. So, um, you know, the schedule plays into some of that. But I, but I do think one of Chris's points that he made, which I think is dead on here, is you have to start to string together some wins. You have to get three, four, five in a row. You have to have a 10-game stretch where you go seven and three or eight and two. Um, and then if you can, everything is so closely contested in the Eastern Conference. Like if the Pacers reeled off a good two weeks here, you and I could be talking at the beginning of April about a team who, you know, is in playoff position and they're right on the doorstep of getting home court in the first round. That's, you know, the, the biggest dynamic of all of this is if you would have looked at like the standings last year, or the year before, you know, you would have unfortunately dug yourself a pretty significant hole right now as it relates to any hope of, of getting even up into the four or the five. This year, it's still right there. It's still very attainable. Now you're through that gauntlet of a stretch of schedule, and uh, things start to lighten up here a little bit. But um, Detroit at home, I think, is a fantastic opportunity. You've got a team that is struggling on the year, one that you beat pretty handedly in Detroit. And I think you just you have to see one go your way from a home court perspective, and then um, you know that might start to help alleviate some of those issues that you've had at home. And so I think this this game is is timed up perfectly to take advantage of that. And then we'll see if, if you can start. There's been a lot of promising dynamics and aspects of the last couple of weeks, but the the schedule has just been so hard that there's not been a whole lot of time to gain ground in the standings. If those promising aspects that we've seen six straight games where you took the lead into the fourth against a lot of good teams, um, you know, Levert slowly, but surely, I think starting to round into form, if you can get healthy, obviously that's a big one too. Brogdon and Savonis didn't play on Monday, but um, if, if some of those positives that you saw the last couple of weeks that maybe didn't turn into a bunch of wins because of the schedule if those can start to show themselves as the schedule gets a lot more back to normal um, then I think you're in a really good position but it's their job to prove that you know a lot of those bright points that we saw the last couple of weeks are indeed signs of improvement we'll see that'll be my final thought is as you were talking I was thinking you know there's one variable in it in its health because you don't want to make an excuse for what happened in Milwaukee but it's just not the same team without Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner. And so by all accounts, uh, Nate Bjorkren sounded confident when asked about their prospects moving forward, maybe even as soon as Wednesday, did not express a lot of concern. So if they're able to get back on the court, and maybe it was just they weren't quite 100%, but they also were playing their seventh game in 11 days and on the back-to-back. Um, and you know you've got a schedule moving forward that you're going to need everybody at 100%. If that was just then so be it. And I think if you go into that Pistons game with everybody and you continue to keep an eye on Karis LeVert and get him closer and closer to the player that they acquired and not, you know, the player that is recovering from serious surgery, you're in a, you're in a good spot. And I, I can, I can't fault Pacers fans for expressing some frustration over the last couple of weeks, maybe even go back to the last month, but don't forget about what worked, well on Friday and Sunday in Miami against the team that is fourth in the Eastern Conference and just only think about that game in Milwaukee. Right now, I don't want any part of the Bucks ever again based on what I've seen. <laughs> I mean, I, they look like the best team in NBA history based on those two games. Um, and, and we know that they had everything going right for them in both of those games. And I'll be interested to see uh, what happens when they come to Bankers Life Fieldhouse if the Pacers can close the gap. But before that, I want to see the Pacers go on a run like you mentioned, Chris mentioned, I have mentioned. You know, Let's see in the next couple of weeks if they can um, win five out of seven or something like that. And I, I think it's possible. And then you'll be in a situation where you can optimistically look forward. I, right now, looking at the standings, my final thought is this. Um, you know, The players in the past have had this goal, and I think Nate McMillan – you know, maybe led the charge to be a home court advantage team in the first round. Now with a play-in tournament, I think my goal is that six seed. I don't want any part of the play-in tournament. I want to be a solid playoff team. And if you can get to six and then take your chances as one that, as has been discussed, will be better at the postseason than maybe they were in the regular season, see what happens. And that's kind of the way I'm approaching the remainder of this season.
No, I think you're totally right. And again, you know, this isn't exactly the Orlando restart in terms of home court means nothing there. But um, if there if there ever was a year that isn't Orlando restart where you're okay with not uh, being having home court advantage, it's this year's play. I mean, the Pacers have a better record on the road than home anyway. So, um, you know, the the road has been just fine. I I don't think you necessarily look at that, but I do think you look at matchups, too. Uh, You know, obviously, you got to get. Um, into the first day. I guess the Bucks are third, so that'd be bad, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, uh, Brooklyn and Philly are are very talented teams. Those top three teams have had great years, and I think any of those matchups would be uh, certainly challenging, but winnable. And But then you look after that, and, you know, there's just kind of been this grouping of teams that goes Miami and Atlanta and Charlotte and New York and Boston and Chicago, the Pacers and the Raptors. And none of those teams, you know, really scare me at all, at least. So if you can get yourself in a position, again, you got to climb the ladder. The Pacers got to get first, I think, into the top eight, and then they've got to start making some ground. So don't want to put cart before horse here and start, you know, talking about potential playoff matchups because they've got to get in first. Um, But a lot of ways to go. And, you know, right now as we're recording this, the Pacers are two and a half games out of fourth. I mean, it's just crazy, and it might mean – down the stretch, you're going to have one of the wilder finishes to the season because, you know, oftentimes if you're jockeying for the final playoff spots, we remember that a few years ago um, when they brought Lance Stevenson back. I mean, those have drama. But if if this stays as is, you could go into the final couple of weeks with four through 11 all being realistic outcomes. And so I, I tend to think you'll start to see some separation, but I would have thought you would have started to see some a month ago and you just haven't. So it makes it makes things really interesting. It makes interesting. It makes it entertaining. And it means if, you know, any of these teams like look what Atlanta has done now. They lost um, a big lead last night in uh, L.A. against the Clippers. But um, you know, they, they rattled off, I think, eight in a row and went from 11th to fifth. Now, eight in a row might be challenging to do, but uh, you've also got a lot more time on your hands still. You don't need to win eight straight to do that. You just need to play better consistently, you know, start winning, like you said, two out of three, three out of five, that kind of thing, and you can get back there. And, you know, I I think it's, we'll start to see if some of these positives that you've seen over the last couple of weeks are indeed uh, steps forward. And if they are, you know, you, you, you hopefully think you'll be a team like Detroit, um, but uh, it's it's a. Uh, I just think it's a, a really interesting point in the year because things could go a lot of different directions. But now you're getting to the point in the schedule where um, you feel like these games become a lot more winnable. And if you're going to start to go on a run, I think it's going to um, you know need to come sooner rather than later. So uh, that's final thoughts from me. Anything uh, from you before we wrap this up? No, I'm good. I think my final thought will be, congrats and. Keep it up. Keep up the good work to everyone working in and around downtown Indianapolis. And even uh, the congrats part could extend to Bloomington and West Lafayette, uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse for everybody that has done a a yeoman's job in hosting the NCAA men's basketball tournament. It's been fantastic to watch. It's been invigorating to see people downtown. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, there are these random situations where the crowds have been too much. It's really tough to. for me at this point to criticize anybody that's trying to get their business off the ground and for people that are trying to experience some sense of normalcy. We hope it doesn't get out of hand and, uh, you know, continue to do so safely. But having said that, I I just, it was fun to have this weekend was, was really cool for me personally, because I, you know, to walk into that building on Friday and know there were NCAA tournament games going on and then broadcast, a Pacers win against the Heat, and then on Saturday um, was able to actually go to Lucas Oil Stadium and watch the Oklahoma-Missouri game with you know my wife and son and another family, and and everyone kind of was enjoying that experience. Something that was would be cool anytime, but I think everyone felt it was a, a bigger deal because they had not done so recently. And then broadcast another Pacers win against the Heat Sunday at one o'clock, and actually went back Sunday night. And I know you actually. Um, immediately after getting off the air, watched uh, Syracuse. So you're, you're just like any other media person, Pat. You're cheering for Syracuse basketball. I know. I was saying <laughs> they, I've got there's there's two contingents, groups of people, uh, and group one would have seen me in a Syracuse shirt and probably wanted to puke, and group two would have seen me in a Syracuse shirt and said, 
Welcome to the team, Pat. Yeah. Like, where have you been all, the, all these years? So yeah. I do have one Syracuse shirt. Uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, my girlfriend um, is a Syracuse graduate and a uh, and a reporter in Indianapolis. So she's part of that Syracuse media contingent. And they call them you know mafia? what? Is it mafia? <laughs> yeah, you, you probably can. You probably can. They are. Yeah. They are. They are loyal diehards, though. And um, you know, I expect her to root for Ball State when they play. So I think it's more than fair uh, that I root for Syracuse when they play. But no, it was great. You know, it was a really good game. It, it's still so odd being in buildings that are only twenty percent full or so. But it did. It felt a lot more like normal. And um, you know, I have another buddy who went to Oregon State, and I think he's flying into town now with an unexpected Sweet 16 trip. I mean, that's what's so cool to me is you've got, um, you know, I've got a handful of people that I know that are friends, acquaintances that um, are graduates from some of these schools, and we've seen a ton of upsets so far. And all of a sudden, they're like, we got to get to Indy. I got to get to Indy. And I'm like, hey, come down here. You know, I can, <laughs> I can help you out perhaps with tickets and places to stay and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just been really cool to have uh, Indy as a city. Indiana as a state, um, Bankers Life Fieldhouse as an arena, be the epicenter of all of this. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, you know, we have Pacers games going on in a studio uh, 100 feet away. And for you, uh, it makes your backdrop shot a lot more interesting as fans are filtering <laughs> in and out. So, you know, the city, the, the state, uh, the arena, you know, at the tip of the cap goes to so many people and including many um, on our team with the Pacers that are making this happen. Um, it would be great if somehow this could happen again in the future. I don't know if that's realistic or not to get the whole tournament here. You hope that it doesn't need to happen again from a pandemic standpoint, certainly. But with the hand that you've been dealt, that we've all been dealt, um, you know, it's hard to imagine, at least so far, things going any better than they possibly could. But we know that's not surprising. That's what yeah. Indianapolis does. It's not an original thought, I'm sure, but I was asked about this or we talked about it on the JMV show on Monday. And this is my proposal. You say once every 10 years, the NCAA <laughs> tournament comes to Indiana and it's a basketball festival. And uh, that way, you know, every generation, whether whether in Indiana, if you're a kid at some it happens. And in your 20s, if you have money and you want to enjoy it from that way, you get to do it as well. If you want to have it every five years, I'm, I'm all I'm fine with it. Um, but I, I, it'd be nice to make it special. And so just make it part of the rotation. Uh, every four or five years, the Super Bowl's in Miami, right? And then New Orleans gets its opportunities. I just think uh, with what Indiana did, and the Indiana Sports Corps deserves a tip of the cap. And, and I just say, you know, push through the next couple of weeks and, and just continue to do what you're doing and then enjoy and celebrate afterwards. But I think that I see no reason why you couldn't take one year hiatus from going to Buffalo and San Jose and, and Greensboro for first round games and just have them all over the state of Indiana. And I don't think anybody would complain. Absolutely. Hey, you have absolutely zero arguments uh, coming from me on that regard. And who knows? You never know. But uh, a, a um, tip of the cap to everybody who's been involved in this because it's just been um, phenomenal to watch. And so far, you're one weekend in. And I think the the on-court product has overall been really good. A ton of upsets. And um, you know, now things start to get down to the bigger games. And I know Bankers Life Fieldhouse still has a big role in the tournament uh, remaining. So uh, very cool to watch all of this unfold kind of simultaneously with our own very busy and condensed Pacers season. And to be in the building for some of these games is um, certainly a treat. And I hope uh, you're all listening that are in Indy are, are getting to enjoy this as well. Because it's certainly a once, uh, well, hopefully it's not once in a lifetime opportunity, but yeah. so far it's never happened before. So up to this point, it's a, it's, it's been a once in a lifetime opportunity and uh, we'll see if that changes, but that'll wrap it up for this week's sideline guys podcast. Thanks to Kristen Airy who joined us earlier. JJ, as always, I'm Pat. We'll talk to you next week on the sideline guys podcast.